We're going to be studying today the fourth Sicha of Parsha Vayeshev. That's in the set of Lakute Sichos, the talks and edited talks of the Rebbe in volume 15. And there's some amazing, exciting details in today's Parsha that are also connected with the holiday of Hanukkah. So first, as a background to the story in the Parsha, in Parsha Vayeshev, we deal with the story with Jacob's children that they did not like their brother, their dreamer brother, the brother who dreams a lot, who shared his dreams. They felt threatened by this. The, he had his two dreams that they felt was alluding to them. They're going to lose their who they are and so on. And eventually, after Jacob sends Yosef to go find out how his brother's doing, how his brothers are doing, they say, ah, oh, the dreamer is coming. Let's kill him. And then Yehuda speaks up and says, you know, what's the advantage of this to kill him? And they end up taking off his colorful coat that he got from his father. And they put him and they put him and toss him into a pit. And that's what the verse says. They took him and they put him into the pit. And then the verse continues. This pit, what kind of pit was this? The habayr, rake, the bayr, the pit was empty. Ain by mayim. And there was no water in the pit. Now, the Talmud asks, in the same subject section in the Parsha, where it talks about, in the Talmud, where it speaks about Hanukkah, in tractate of Shabbos, page 22, 22, the beginning of uh, the first side of 22, over there, the Talmud goes to a whole Hanukkah subject. And in that subject about Hanukkah, the Talmud says that Rav Kana, Rabbi Kana, said that in the name of Rav Nassin, the son of Minyumi, who said it in the name of Rabbi Tanchum, what does the verse mean when it says that the pit was empty and there was no water? Don't I know already if you say the pit is empty? You said the pit. You threw him into a pit. And you said that the pit was empty. So I know already that there was no water. What does the verse mean to say that the pit was empty and there was no water? Isn't it obvious? Says the Talmud that Mayim Einbay Water, there was none. But there was something else in there. And when the verse emphasizes that there was no water, it's to tell you, you're right, there's no water. But snakes and scorpions, the pit did have. And that's why the verse is saying there was no water. To emphasize, you're right, there was no water, but there was other dangerous creatures in the pit. Now, it clearly, when the Talmud says something, in the subject of Hanukkah, it's not just because this, this idea about the pit being empty and there's no water, but there is snakes and scorpions. Is It's not just that the Talmud would bring it down because it's the same sage that said a previous statement about Hanukkah. The same Rabbi Kana who said something in the name of Rabbi Nassim Bar Minyumi who said it in the name of Rabbi Tanachum, whatever, the, all the names. It's not just because it's the same sage. Clearly, it's because there's a connection in theme between the story that there's no water in the pit, but there's snakes and scorpions and they're connected to Hanukkah. So in other words, because the Torah, everything, even the oral Torah, is so precise, the fact that a Hanukkah idea and the fact about this story of this pit are brought down together in the same subject must be that there's a connection. Especially, we study, we heard many times about the Shalah, the Shalah HaKadosh, he wrote the famous book that's acronym of Shalah, the Shnei Luchos Abris, we call him the Shalah, a very, very holy sage that we quote him a lot. And he said that in this week's Parsha, actually, he says that the Parsha of Vayeshev, Miketz, and Vayigash all have connections with Hanukkah. 
You just have to delve into the parsha enough and you'll see connections with Hanukkah. The obvious simple reason why he said that is, is because these three parshas are always read in connection with the time of Hanukkah. But he's telling you is, even deeper than that, that there are actually ideas that are connected to Hanukkah in the parsha. Now, the sages teach us in tractate of Baba Kama and the Talmud, over there it says, What's the story about water? What's so special about water that we're taught, we're saying this pit did not have water, but it had snakes and scorpions? So the sages tell us that water and Torah are very connected. Ain Mayim Ela Torah. As a matter of fact, there's no water except for Torah. Real water means Torah. That means that the Torah. When it says the word water, it obviously hints to Torah too. If you say the pit did not have water, the Medrash tells us, what does it mean it didn't have water? It says that this pit didn't have water because water alludes to Torah. And the pit of Jacob dried up. Meaning, the Torah was dried up by Jacob's children. So something happened here that water is not in this pit and it's in this story. That means that there was no water, meaning there was no Torah. Something happened here that there was a lack of Torah by these children. We have to figure out what that means because soon we're going to see they were actually great Torah scholars. So what does this mean? But in simple terms, the Medrash just points out if there's no water, that means there's no Torah. And that's the deeper meaning when it says that there's no water, but there is snakes and scorpions. And the fact that the Medrash brings down both things together, that there's, that there's no water means there is snakes and scorpions. And then the Medrash says that no, there's no water in this pit, meaning there's no Torah. Why is that? Because when a person is in a situation that you don't have Torah, you know what that means when you don't have Torah? You have something else in you. You have some dangerous species in you. Snakes and scorpions. And as a matter of fact, there's no middle ground. It's not like if I don't have Torah, so there's something in the middle. No, no, no. You don't have Torah. You know what you do have? You have snakes and scorpions. That means the loss, the defect of not having Torah is not just that I'm empty from no Torah and I could be filled with something else that's okay stuff. No, no, no. You're actually considered to be a pit. And if you don't have in your pit, in your space, you don't have Torah, what you do have is snakes and scorpions. Meaning, you have something that actually is attacking, that's the opposite of holiness. If a person does not have Torah, what you do have is something that's fighting Torah. And this idea is actually quite similar to something that the Baal Shem Tov taught us Something that we say in our daily Shema prayer. Fascinating thing. It's printed in a book called Tzavas Haribash. Tzava in Hebrew means a will. Ribash is an acronym for Reb Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. So the name of the book is the will, his will, will and testimony of, you know, of the Baal Shem Tov. Although, it's good to know that the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, actually, that everything that's written in that book, he says it's not something that the Baal Shem Tov wrote and said, you know, this is my will for after I pass away. He said these were certain teachings that the Baal Shem Tov taught, that his students compiled them and made the name of that book. That's what they call it. So in any case, in that book, there's a bunch of Torah ideas that are fundamental stuff. A lot of it is very deep Kabbalistic stuff, but here is one that's very attainable and a very simple, straightforward comment. And he says like this. When you say in the Shema, you say in the second paragraph of the Shema, so we read there that if you're going to listen to my commandments, right, then you're going to be blessed with rain on time, etc. Right? Then it says, be careful, don't let your heart lest your heart astray, visartem, and you're going to go off the path of serving Hashem. 
And what's going to happen to you if you don't serve Hashem? What's going to happen is you're going to be serving idols. That's what we say in the second paragraph of the Shah, of the Shema. Vesartem, stay away from this because vavadatem alokim achem, you're going to start to, you will worship other gods. Vishtachavisem lehem, and you're going to bow to them, etc. Said the Baal Shem Tev, when the word says, Vesartem, you're going to go away from this and you're going to serve idols, says, he says like this, when a person separates themselves from God, right away, you're worshiping idols. There's no middle ground. You can't say to yourself, you know what, listen, God, I'm not going to serve you now. But that doesn't mean that I'm doing something bad. I'm worshiping idols. Said the Valshentif doesn't work like that. There's no middle. The moment you're not serving God, that next moment or that moment, you're already miyat, he says. Right away, you're serving idol. Pretty heavy stuff. But from this we see why the Torah doesn't say straight out that the pit had snakes and scorpions. You would think, why does the verse have to say the pit was empty and there was no water? And then you have to learn, okay, no water, so there is snakes and scorpions. Why doesn't the verse just say that the pit had snakes and scorpions? Because the Torah doesn't have to specify it. It's an automatic result of not having water. Once you tell me if there's no water there, I know what that means. That means there's snakes and scorpions. Once you know you don't have Torah, right away you're off the track. Let's, by the way, think of in today's world, a person who doesn't have Torah, right away, what, do you, what does a person do? We all know. We run straight to the news, to the internet, to who knows what, that takes our minds way to somewhere else. Almost always to places that at least in some degree, right, are considered to be the opposite of serving Hashem. So this is what he's saying here. The Torah doesn't have to tell you that there were snakes and scorpions there. It just has to tell you there's no water. Automatically, I know already. But that's the way the Mashantav also learned this. And therefore, the Medrash brings down both commentaries, one after the next. First, the point that There, when it says no water, it means that there's snakes and scorpions. And the second point is when there's no water, it means there's no Torah. Because water is Torah. Ain mayim elo Torah. Water means Torah. We're soon going to find out why is water called Torah. We'll soon get to that. But therefore, the Medr says both interpretations together, commentaries, one after the next. One is dependent on the other. The fact that there is snakes and scorpions which happened automatically because there's no water, because there's no Torah. And that's what led to a move which was opposite of the desires of the Torah to the selling of Joseph, right? So as the Torah tells us the story where the brother sold Joseph. Again, why did they end up selling him? Because there was missing Torah. The pit didn't have Torah. These boys missing something of Torah. Now, one could ask a question. I understand with the Baal Shem Tev's interpretation, Vesartem, Vavadatem, we say it in the Shema. If you go off, you're already serving. That's talking about the essence of your relationship with God. It's understood. As soon as I move away from God, right away I'm serving idol. Which, by the way, I want to share with you a little story here. We just came from Yutis Kislev, the Alter Rebbe's day of, of uh, freedom of jail. There's a well-known story where they once asked the Alter Rebbe if he said something in the name of his teacher, the Baal Shem Tov. And the Alter Rebbe said yes. It was a big, wild statement. And they said that if the, if the Alter Rebbe would have lied and said no, he would have gained 50,000 Hasidim. People would have joined him. So they said to the Alter Rebbe, why didn't you just say a small lie? Why did you have to say the 100% the truth? The Alter Rebbe said, I did not want to be separated from the Baal Shem Tov for even one second. I was, it wasn't worth it for me. Therefore, I wouldn't do it. Which means, obviously, the principles of Hashem, Torah, and so on. So, 
When the Balshentav says Visartem, you go off the track automatically. You're already you're already in the opposite of serving uh, idols, at least obviously in a minute way of idol worship, as Altareva brings down in Tanya that once you're not 100% connected to Hashem, you're already connected to something else. But in our story here with Joseph, it's speaking about the lack of Torah. Why do you have to say that when there's a lack of Torah, automatically there's snakes and scorpions, which is an opposite to Torah. When you're talking about the essence of the relationship with God, you say, okay, I don't believe in God right now. I'm going off the path. So therefore, I understand you're believing in something else. But when it comes to Torah, why do we have to say, if you don't learn Torah, you're already also in extreme. You got snakes and scorpions, like total opposite. Why is it so extreme when it comes to Torah too? It's not, seemingly, it's not a fundamental thing in your relationship with Hashem, whether I'm studying or not. So why do we say such a level of extreme? No Torah, oops. There are snakes and scorpions, which means totally the opposite of holiness. Another thing we have to understand, it's knowing that the brothers of Joseph, they held that they had halachic Torah strength that, to their move to kill their brother Yosef. There was a technical thing that the brothers decided not to kill him because they didn't want to have the blood on their hands, but they felt that he deserves to be dead, killed. They felt that in Jewish law, this brother deserves the death penalty. Why? Because they felt that this brother was pursuing them to kill him, to kill them. They felt that Yosef wanted to kill them. Look at his dreams. They're all going to bow to him. They're going to be servants and slaves and who knows what. They felt in their minds and the way they understood Torah, they felt that that their brother deserved to be killed. They believed he had a din called of a rodef. A rodef means a person who's pursuing to try to kill somebody down the line. And there's other reasons commentaries on the Torah tell us of why they felt justified that they could kill their brother. So we have to ask a question. Why does the Medr say that through this that they wanted to kill their brother, Jacob's pit of Torah dried up and there was no Torah there. That means that his brothers, the tribes, the Shvatim, God forbid, didn't consider anything of Torah value. What do you mean? According to their way of understanding, it was, they had a Torah ruling in their minds that Joseph was justified to be killed. So, the way the Medrash is putting it is that these people, they dried up their Torah and they're no Torah at all. How could you say that? These were clearly God-fearing people, Jacob's kids. They wanted to do this move based on what they felt was the right move to do according to Jewish law to have this person killed. So why does the Medrash say that they didn't have any Torah? To appreciate, to understand this connection that they completely didn't have Torah even though they did obviously have Torah because they felt, you know, that it was halakhically correct to kill him. We'll be able to understand this when we understand what is the reason that our sages actually compare Torah to water. Ein mayim ela Torah. There's no water except for Torah. What do they mean by that? The Torah actually, if you look through literature in the Torah, you could find that the Torah is compared to many different things. It's compared in some places to bread, some places it's compared to wine. Some places the Torah is compared to oil. And everyone is talking about another different dimension of the Torah. That's why we compare it to these different things. But regarding water, the sages teach us the following in Tractate Tainus in the Talmud. They tell us like this. Lama nimshalu divrei Torah lamayim. Why do we compare and use the analogy from Torah with water? It's there to tell you the following. Just like water, if you put it anywhere you put water, at a high point, it will make its way to go down. So too, the Torah does not stay, it doesn't last, it doesn't penetrate, only by somebody that's like a low point, somebody that's humble, not an arrogant, boasty, 
you know, dominant person, Torah doesn't stay there. That means that water is not, it's not the essence of the idea of water is comparing water to, to Torah. That means we're comparing the attitude of water with the attitude of Torah. That just like water always finds itself, it goes to the lowest place, to a low point, so too the Torah finds itself best at a low point. Meaning a low point, meaning somebody that holds themselves humble and small. With this we can understand this medrash that says that Jacob's pit dried up and there was no Torah there. Meaning his children's, right? Because by them, they had Torah. They had the laws of Torah. But they were missing something. They were missing the high important level of being humble in comparison to their level. Like we see for an example, amazing law. We all know when you pray, you're supposed to bow in the middle of your praying. Right? You know how when you say the blessed asylum prayer, you're supposed to say, you go with your knees, you bend Baruch, then you bend your back down, you say Atta, and then you stand straight for the word Hashem. Okay, four times in the silent prayer you do that. Baruch, Ata, Hashem. So you humble yourself down. But there's a very interesting law. It says that a king that prays a silent prayer, once he goes Baruch, Ata, he should stay down, bowing till the end of the whole silent prayer. Why? Why is a king different? Why does a king have to stay bowing the entire time? And the answer is because the king could much easier than anybody else feel a certain arrogance. So he needs to do more to stay humble. A regular person, okay, once you, you bow, you, you're humble, you realize it's all, everything you have is from Hashem. But a king needs to do more bowing to remember that, stays down. So what do you see from this? That for the level of Jacob's children, they needed to have a tremendous amount of humility. And that was something that was missing by them. And that's what it means that their water, their pit, dried up, there was no water. Because they were missing what, what water and Torah is. Again, water is compared to Torah because water goes to the humble place, so to Torah. So to here, if they were missing humility, there's no Torah. Based on this, Zerba says, but actually we could ask even a stronger question. How is it possible that as soon as there's no water, right away there's something else snakes and scorpions, like automatically? In other words, why is it that by learning, if you're missing humility, right away you should have an existence of something else? Something opposite? Why does it work like that? That it's an automatic. Maybe there should be a middle stage here. You don't have humbleness. Okay, it could get so bad that I could have something goes against the Torah. Why is it automatic? No Torah, right away you have something else that's terrible. Snakes and scorpions. And the answer is, the main thing of Torah is that through Torah, you connect yourself with the giver of the Torah. That's what happens. You get connected with the not saying HaTorah, with the giver, with Hashem. As you say in the blessings, Baruch Ata Hashem, when you say the Torah blessing, Naisein HaTorah. Thank you Hashem, right? Blessed be He Hashem, who, the giver of the Torah. So when you learn, you get connected with the Naisein HaTorah. Therefore, this idea of being humble is a fundamental condition here. As long as you're in existence of your own, you're in the realm of limitations of a created being. And therefore, you're not fitting to connect yourself with the infinity of the giver of the Torah. God is the infinity. How could I connect me, a human being that's trying to learn Torah? I should connect to Hashem? I'm a human finite being, Gvul, should connect to Bli Gvul, to the infinity? How is that possible? So it happened only through this that I become a non-existence. You become humble. 
You don't take credit for every little thing that you do. With that, you go out of your limitations. Then I could connect to the infinite of Hashem itself. And this is actually interesting of another thing that it says in our daily silent prayer. At the end of the silent prayer, there's a paragraph that begins, Just before we're finished and we're about to go back a few steps, right? You say, It should be the will of Hashem that my, my, my words should be accepted and so on. Then you say, God, protect me from any tongue that speaks evil. And then you say these words, my soul should be like dust to all. I should be like nothing in comparison to people. And then we ask for a prayer. We say, Open my heart, please, to your Torah. What does it mean? What does this prayer mean? I should be a nothing. I should be dust. And then I say, open my heart to Torah. When you learn Torah, seemingly... You need to have an existence. You need to have a brain. You need to be awake. You have to be fresh. You have to learn well. You have to grasp it. You have to internalize what you're learning. That means I'm an existence person. What does it mean? Vanafshi Kafar, my soul should be like dust, earth, lacholtia. Vanafshi Kafar, lacholtia. It should be like that to everybody. That means I am completely the opposite. I want to become a non-existence. That seems like a contradiction to be able to grasp and understand something. You know the story with the guy, as a side note, doesn't bring it here in the Sicha, but it's a famous story, that a chassid once came to, I think the Tzamach Tzedek maybe, and he said to him, he said, what should I do, Rebbe? He says, I go to shul, and everybody steps on me there. Everybody makes me crazy there, you know, everybody steps on me. So the Tzemach Tzedek said, well, why do you lay yourself out on the floor in the shul? You spread yourself out on the floor. You make, it, you know, you make all your Meshagasa known. Of course, everybody's going to step on you. <laughs> so aside, that's a side note to the story because it, it, it's part of this idea. You say, make my soul should be like dust. It should be like nothing. I should be like, like so humble. I shouldn't be in existence of my own ego, my nothing. And help me to understand the Torah. What does that mean? If I'm a nobody, then that means I'm, I'm, I'm excluding even my intellect. And the only way to learn is with your intellect to be a something. So he says, he says, you have to learn it like this. When is it possible, open up my heart to your Torah? to you, God, to your Torah. When can I be a vessel to get your Torah, which is infinite, no limitations, that could be only if I humble myself first. I need to make this introduction that I am like nothing, which is like the point where I'm like so nothing, everybody just could step on me. Meaning to be humble is a vessel to be able to receive the infinite Torah. The more of an existence you are, there's no room for God in there. Only once I say to myself, I say to Hashem, let me be like a nothing. Oh, all of a sudden, you're not a limitation anymore. You're not an existence of a box, of a size. You're just like a nothing. Oh, okay, now infinity could connect to you because you're not an existence of a thing. Once you say you're a size and I'm a this and a that, I'm only able this, only able that, this I, 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 there's no room for the infinite godliness in there. That only then you could have that if you work hard and you could have your gaita, you could have toil in Torah and to really grasp the Torah in a very deep way, you could have psach libi, open my heart to your Torah. Let me feel it, let me connect to it. Now it's understood also another thing, which is always a wondrous question that we find regarding learning Torah, that it says that when you speak the words of Torah is even greater than grasping the words of Torah. Meaning, wisdom of Torah, to understand Torah, or saying the words of Torah, which one is more powerful? Saying the words of Torah is better. Why? The law is that a person who only thinks words of Torah doesn't have to say a bracha on the Torah before you start to think. So in other words, you know how 
when a person gets called up to the Torah, you say a bracha asher bachar banu mikol amin. But really, everybody's supposed to say men and women and children. Everybody says that bracha every morning. Why? Because you may learn Torah that day. Hopefully, you're going to learn Torah. So you say the blessing, just like before you eat, you make a blessing. So too, before you learn, you make a blessing. So how about if I get up in the morning and I start to think words of Torah? Do I have to say a blessing before I think? You got out of bed. You're, you're getting dressed. You, you know, you're working your way down to the, to the kitchen, right? Am I allowed to say words of Torah? It says, no, if you're thinking, you don't have to say words of Torah before. Why? Because thinking is not like saying words of Torah. Another law, if you think words of Torah that you could have verbally said them, you didn't even fulfill your obligation of studying Torah. So what do they call it? Um, and, and reading with your eyes? Doesn't count. That's not learning Torah. That's reading something. Or maybe you could call it reading Torah. But there's something called learning Torah. The mitzvah is v'limadatem, we say in the, sh- in the Shema. Learn. V'limadatem is limud. You have to learn the Torah. Learning is when you verbalize it. The proof is, because only by verbalizing it, then you say the blessing on it. And even more, understanding Torah is connected with speech. As the sages say, there's a verse that says in Proverbs, it says, Chaim heim lemotziyem, which means life goes to those that find the Torah. Whoever finds, King Solomon said, whoever finds the Torah, in other words, be smart, you know, find a class, a Torah class, find the book, connect yourself with Torah. Chaim Haim, it's life for those that find the Torah. That's the verse. But the sages tell us that there's another way of learning that, reading that word. When it says Chaim Haim, life is for those, that find it, you could also read it, which means to those Life is there to those that bring out the Torah. If you bring it out with your mouth. And not just that. You're supposed to integrate the Torah, not just with your mouth, but also with all your 248 limbs. And that's how the Torah is retained by you. You want to remember the Torah? You want to retain it? Say the words to a point that your whole body feels that you're saying it. You could ask, when a person speaks words of Torah or the oral Torah and doesn't understand the word of it, the law is that it's as if you learned nothing. There's a difference of written Torah, oral Torah. Written Torah, you just have to say the words, you did a mitzvah. Oral Torah, you actually have to understand. So if so, that means, why is it so, the question is, why is it so important to say the words of the Torah? To the point that if I don't say it, I don't even have to make a blessing for it. And you haven't fulfilled your obligation of learning if you didn't say the words. And not just that, you're not going to even retain it. Why is that? Why is that that I can't retain it if I don't, it, it, don't I have to think of it, I have to understand it? Isn't the most important thing understanding? The answer is, the main thing of Torah is, again, back to the point, connecting with the giver of the Torah. Therefore, my learning the Torah has to be in a way of understanding it. But it's not about learning it like in the, in the world of the intellect of it. It's about connecting with the giver of the Torah. So even though, yes, you have to understand it, but you have to connect to the giver. In other words, it's not enough just to be humble as an introduction to learning. The nafshi kafar to be like dust, earth. But the learning has to be in a way where you're completely humble. You have to understand it and still be humble about it. Therefore, when we learn Torah, it has to be in a way that life is for those that bring it out by, with your mouth. And it's there and prepared in, your, in all the 248 limbs. When a Jew learns Torah only with your intellect, which is the highest level of a human person, is that you, have, you learn something with your intellect, there's still an existence of the person and you can't grasp the Torah the way it is Hashem's Torah. Like the example brought in the Talmud, it's like the impossible thing that can't happen. You can't have an intellectual head should connect with Hashem because Hashem is infinite and intellect is finite. Just like we say 
that you can't put an elephant into the hole of a needle because that's an impossible task. Why, even though you, could, you would think that if an if a, uh, elephant, even though it's a limited you know, being, nevertheless, in the needle, it cannot go in because it's much smaller than the elephant. And therefore, it's completely out of, a, out of question. How do you get an elephant into a needle? To the point is, even the Talmud says that a person in their dreams don't even dream of such a thing of an elephant going through a needle, the hole of a needle. Because it's so impossible that you, you, you don't even think, that, even though in dreams you have things that are, you know, opposites. But to that extent, you know, you wouldn't have that in your dream. So too, to have the Torah should connect with Hashem, which is the infinite, like it says, the Torah is like Hashem's toys. It's, it's like his pleasure. It's like so close to Hashem. Certainly, you can't put such a huge thing, infinite, into a little vessel of your brain. You have this little brain. It's, I don't know, 10 inches by 10 inches, whatever it is, you know? How big is a brain? How could you have the infinite in there? It's like putting an elephant into a, into a needle. I mean, it's even more than that. It's the impossible. Therefore, you can't retain it. It's impossible for the Torah to be retained in you. As the Talmud actually says, that there was once a Torah scholar who used to learn quietly. He used to always sit and read and learn Torah quietly. He used to forget whatever he learned. He couldn't remember. A lot of people ask, as they age, they think that it's an age thing. Ah, keep on forgetting what I just learned yesterday. Maybe it's not that. It's because you're not verbalizing. You have to verbalize the Torah. Say the Torah. If you say it, you retain it. Or I always suggest to people, I always suggest to people, say it over to somebody else. When you meet somebody, say, you know what I learned this morning or this afternoon, I just learned this in a class, I, I read this piece of Torah, I studied this. Saying it makes it be retained. Because again, the first thing is we have to remove ourselves so we can now become a vessel for infinite. But when you connect the idea of Torah to your mouth, to verbalizing it, and to the point that all your 248 limbs grasp it, which is even, your limbs is even lower than the greatness of a human being, which is intellect, that means that the learning is in a way that you lower yourself down from your level to the point that it goes through your whole body and you nullify your existence, you make yourself into a nothingness in comparison specifically then is how you get the Torah of Hashem, the infinite Torah of Hashem, wisdom of Hashem, could now be absorbed in you. Now we could well understand what the sages mean that on the verse that says, water, there was no water, but snakes and scorpions there was. As soon as there's no water, there's snakes and scorpions. Since the main thing of Torah is to connect to the giver of the Torah, which comes through how? By being a nothing. That means there's no middle ground, there's no middle place, stage, to receive the infinite of Hashem. If you are an existent being, you cannot get infinite into you. You have to become a non-existence you have to submit yourself that uh, it's not a, all about me, 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 and then you could accept the infinite. So when it comes to nullifying yourself for the giver of the Torah, then I could get and receive the Torah fully properly. But if, God forbid, there's no water, what does that mean there's no water? We said water is means humbleness. So again, that's the point. When there's no water, God forbid, meaning there's no humbleness, you're missing the connection with Hashem. How much more so? Even a, a, an elephant can't even get into the needle. And therefore, you have like the, the explanation of the Baal Shem Tov. You go away, and right away you're serving. It's not that. Not just that you don't have a connection to Torah. As it says, the Torah doesn't find itself by arrogant people. But it means with this you become an opposite to holiness. Which the sages teach us that Hashem says, You and I cannot be existence together here. Hashem says, I can't fit into this world with you. If you take up the whole world, there's no room for me. Hashem's the infinite. How could the infinite get in there if there's no finite in the way? And therefore, the moment there's no water, the moment there's no Torah, that means that moment you are taking up place. 
and therefore it's like I'm going and serving something else. And this is also what the Medrash says and translates regarding the brothers of Yosef. What does it mean that Yaakov's children, his pit, dried up and there was no Torah? To the point that it doesn't mean that they didn't have any Torah, God forbid. The essence of the idea of Torah, we already said that they had because they proved it according to halacha, that according to law, Joseph deserves to be killed. But how were they able to make such a mistake? Because they were missing the humility in the learning of Torah. And that's why they were able to come to a conclusion which was really not the proper halacha that Joseph should be deserved to be dead. And hence the point, the proof is, Hashem orchestrated the whole story that Joseph shouldn't die because he didn't deserve to die. They thought in their minds. Why? Because they were so involved in their own thing that they got absorbed into it and they missed the point to be more humble in it. Now we all know that the whole story of Joseph in today's Parsha is all connected and his brothers are all the introduction that led the Jewish people to the exile and being in Egypt and leaving Egypt. Why? Because the fact that Joseph was sold ended up making him the prime minister, which meant at the end of the story, he was able to bring down his father and his brothers and feed them for the last 17 years of Jacob's life. And once they were in Egypt, that's how we ended up later on, many years later, ended up having this slavery in Egypt. But what was the poor purpose of this whole ride of going through the whole exile? It was to get out of it with the giving of the Torah, to get to the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. And just like it was, to the idea of water, that when there's no water, there's snakes and scorpions, that means that the Torah that we learn in today's Parsha, that what is it teaching us? That it's connected to the whole story of the giving of the Torah, because the whole thing of going into Egypt and him coming, the Prime Minister, all led to us being there, the exile, and eventually coming out. Because this, is, this idea is connected to the whole idea of the whole Torah, that we have to be this humbleness. The difference of the way people learn Torah before the giving of the Torah and after, we all know, that our forefathers learned Torah, the Shvatim learned Torah. The difference is, before the giving of the Torah, they learned with their own strength. They grasped the Torah as much as a human can grasp. The idea of the giving of the Torah was, as we say in the blessing, Vinatan lanu et Torah say. What does it mean, Vinatan? Hashem, Hashem gave Torah say, His Torah. That means now Hashem gave us the ability to learn Torah the way it's God's, with the infinite. And this is what the sages mean. It says in the beginning of Moses' life, he used to learn Torah, and he would forget whatever he learned. Until God said, I'm going to give you Moses the Torah as a gift. How did that help? The fact that Moshe got the Torah as a gift, that he stopped forgetting what he learned? Even before the giving of the Torah, we had people learning. We know it says that from the days of our forefathers, they never stopped to learn. Like Parsha Yeshiva Mayhem. They never stopped going into Yeshiva. So clearly they didn't, they didn't forget the Torah. Because it says Yeshiva, the Rebbe learns. Yeshiva means sitting, which means absorbing. So which means they wouldn't forget their Torah. So what does it mean that Moshe, till he got the Torah, as he, he was forgetting it when he was learning it, till Hashem gave it to him as a gift? What does that mean? Only when he got it as a gift, he stopped forgetting it? What does it mean even that he forgot it? Nobody else forgot it. What happened here? The answer is, learning Torah before the giving of the Torah, learning Torah before Mount Sinai, that whole getting the Torah, it was on a level that the Torah was only in the level of people. In other words, you were able to absorb the Torah even internally but only up to the amount that a human can grasp. Once we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, Hashem gave it to us as a gift, the whole game changed. Now it's called Torah Sai, Hashem's level of the Torah, not just the intellect, the infin- infinite part of the Torah, it's God's Torah. So Hashem gave it to him, his Torah, the way, and Hashem's Torah is higher than creation's. Therefore, Moshe, in the beginning, he was able to forget it because he wasn't able to retain it. But when Hashem gave it to him as a gift, that means Hashem gave him the infinite piece of the Torah. Infinity could stay. And so too it is for every single Jew. 
when you learn the Torah, you could absorb it in a deep internal way because not on So now you know why some people that get called up to the Torah, they read the blessing, it takes them a very long time. They read it very slow. Why? Because there's a lot going on when you say these words. You're thinking about the Nas Lanu as Torah. You gave us your Torah, meaning yours. Hashem is the infinite level, not just the intellectual part. The infinite parts of the Torah. Now we could connect to infinity. Now, on the other hand, even though Jews take the Torah with their, we take from the no senator from God Himself. There has to be the humility of the person in order for the Torah to be retained. Since the whole intention of the Torah is that everything, all great high things should come through our work. As the expression is, we don't want to have, we don't feel accomplished if we have free bread. A person that just gets an inheritance, doesn't work for it, doesn't feel so good about it. Right? When you work hard for your bread and you shopped for it and you made it and you needed it, and the more you're involved with it, the more effort you put into it, the much more rewarding. Therefore, Hashem says that a person should also do something on their own. In order to retain it. What is that? Work on humility. Because through this you'll go out of your existence. Based on all this. We can understand what the connection is now to Hanukkah. Now we can start to appreciate. Why did the Talmud put this whole story about the, the pit? No water, no Torah. They didn't have Torah. They were missing something in connection to the story of Hanukkah. What does it got to do with Hanukkah? And as we said in the beginning, it's not just brought there in the Talmud because the same sage said it. That's not deep enough for us. The Torah is precise. That's has to be another reason. Now here's the answer to that, the connection to Hanukkah. We say in the Va'al Hanisim, we say, what happened? If you want to know the summary of the story of Hanukkah, you open your siddur in the benching and in the silent prayer. We're going to say the, the whole eight days. We're going to say this paragraph of the miracles. Over there we say like this. When the Greeks, the, the government of the Greek, the sovereignty of the wicked Greeks rose, what did they want to do? We specify the words we say. They wanted to make that the Jews should forget his Torah. Hasidah says that when it says the word Torah Secha, your Torah, they wanted you to forget the Greeks did not care if you learned Torah as a nice intellectual book. You had a Bible class. They didn't mind that. Gesundheit, have a Bible class, take biblical tests, no problem. But they didn't want that you should learn the Torah as your Torah, as God's Torah. That's what they didn't want. They tried, they wanted to take the godliness out of the Torah. And this actually gives us another fascinating thing about the story of Hanukkah. We know what happened with the oil story. The Greeks came into the temple and it says they contaminated every one of our jugs of oil. They broke the seal, touched it, and it was now contaminated because these people weren't pure. And what happened? We, we took over the Hashemunah, we took over the temple, we found we found one jug of oil, and that had the high priest seal on it that wasn't open. Ah, we have pure oil, and that's the oil we're going to use. Simple question. Why didn't the Greeks spill out all the oil? Why did they just touch it? Why did they just contaminate it? They should have destroyed it. It doesn't say that they destroyed all the jugs of oil. They spilt it on the floor, cracked the bottles. It doesn't say that. It says they contaminated the oil. And the words of Judaism is, is exact. When it says, Tame, all the jugs, they wanted to contaminate oil. What's the oil? Oil represents wisdom. It floats to the top and for many other reasons. The Greeks agreed that Jews should still be able to have oil. They weren't fighting us that you shouldn't have oil. No problem. You want to have oil? No problem. You want to have wisdom? Learn Torah? No problem. But study impure oil. Learn Torah not the way it's connected with the holiness of the Torah, with the giver of the Torah. And this is one of the reasons why Hashem actually made a miracle with the oil. That we should find this one jug of pure oil. Even though there is a law that if an entire community or if the only oil you have is impure or if all the people are impure, if it's a community menorah, 
you're still allowed to do it. In other words, community, Torah, menorah, overrides the prohibition of not using impure oil. So why did Hashem have to make a miracle? Because that's the victory of this Hanukkah story. That Hashem said, I'm going to give you my Torah and the pure oil. That's the victory. That's the miracle. That even though you could have got away with it, it's not about getting away. It's about connecting to the infinite. And just like we spoke before, when you don't have water, through this, meaning that the only way to do it is to have water, meaning to have Torah, meaning you have to have the humility. And if you have that, you are protected from no snakes and scorpions in your life. So too, it's a story of Hanukkah, specifically through lighting the candles with pure oil. Then you have, as the Talmud says, how long, till what time should you be lighting the menorah? And the longest, the last people of Tarmuda, that their feet is no more in the marketplace, they go home, now it's time to start to start to start to light your menorah. Why do you have to wait until the last feet of the people in the marketplace from Tarmuda go? So Hasidus says the word Tarmuda is not just a place. It's deeper than that. Tarmuda is from the word Tarmud, which means the same letters of Moredet. In Hebrew, Moredet means a rebellion. As long as there is the concept of pure oil, God's Torah, you won't have a problem from those that rebel against God. If there's missing pure oil, we're going to have a problem with that for those that rebel. And now, through lighting the menorah, as the law is, we light it at the door of your home facing to the outside. Why the outside? What's the emphasis on that? The answer is because our job is to light up the outside. Meaning, we have to light up the last bits of those feet of Tarmuda. The final bits of anything out there that's trying to hold on to something Kedusha, but it's the wrong thing. We have to wait till we get rid of that from the marketplace completely. And we completely nullify any rebellion attitude, even from those feet, which feet represents the lowest level of a person, until we light up the darkness of the exile and we bring down the re- redemption with the coming of Mashiach, the car of Mamish now. And this is a sicha that the Rebbe said, in, it's, a, it's, a connect, con, it's a collection from two Fabrengans. One is the Parsha of Ayeshev in 1970. Six, or maybe it was the end of 75 still that year, probably. And the other one is from the second day, Shavuos Fabrengen in 1972. And this was published a number of years later on the, for in 1977, it was published into a booklet. And we get to learn it now every year and remember this idea of the whole story of Hanukkah connected to the Parsha, that they didn't have water meaning they didn't have Torah. And meaning, why didn't they have Torah? They were knowledgeable Torah scholars. No, because they were missing humility. You don't have humbleness, you automatically, right away, you got snakes and scorpions, things that get you away from Kedusha. And this is the same thing of Hanukkah, that the idea is of Hanukkah, is we have to have, they try to take away that it's God's Torah, that part of it. So you have to have the godliness in it. And so to the oil has to be pure oil, which is the godliness in it and not enough to have impure oil. So with this, we conclude this Sicha.